episode 14 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, the first conspiracy episode, recorded February 20th, 2019, from a secured location. My name is Ian, and tonight only, I've been left in charge. While Eric was researching the tinfoil hat theories we were going to talk about tonight, he was renditioned to Guantanamo Bay by some men in black into an unmarked aircraft. He is to be held until such time as we deny all conspiracies. I live on a small hobby farm on an undisclosed location on the West Coast. I may or may not be interested in preparedness. I can neither confirm nor deny that. I'm Alan, or am I? I'm a rather non-specific security professional with a background in first response, and I've seen some stuff, man. Some stuff that would blow your mind. You guys have cool intros, and I just have my same lame one. Wow. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Didn't we tell you about that? It's all no, about the prep uh, work, that's man. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, you guys just edited show notes after I did. But uh, no, it's cool. I'm Gavin. Business owner, gun owner, hunter, atheist, volunteer, first responder, CCFR field officer for the GTA, instructor with Ragnarok Tactical. And if you want to learn secret squirrel stuff, talk to me. And I'm also a regular panelist on the other CPP Canadian Patriot podcast. Not to take it sideways, but are you part of that, that, that main secret squirrel club that has like the, the, the compass and the, 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 the ruler thing going on? No, oh, okay. but, I, but I would like to be part of that club. So if there are any Masons listening, just let me know. I hate to break it to you, but you can't be a Mason if you're an atheist. Just saying. Oh, my. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll lie. <laughs> hey, it's our first squirrel moment. We're not even t- two minutes in. Okay. So <laughs> we have some housekeeping items to attend to. We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness and the outdoors. Next, we will be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. Then we get into the main topic for this episode, which is conspiracy theories. It involves basically uh, our favorite tinfoil hat rumors and whether or not we support them or just don't believe in them. So for the news, Alan. Uh, I found a couple of interesting articles. Uh, one is actually they're both in BC. Funny enough, a lot of a lot of preparedness news comes out of BC. Um, this the first one is a link from the CBC, and it is a uh, a record or a reference to a measles outbreak at a French language school, where some 33 students and staff have been asked to stay home because they have low vaccination rates and the government is trying to either reduce an outbreak or control the population i'll let you decide the other is a uh is actually a couple of articles that are related um this is from global news and there were some avalanches and rock slides that have closed some highways part of the trans canada um highway 97 and perhaps somebody who's from that area can tell me exactly what that means but it seems like a fairly significant artery through the uh through the bc interior that's been that's been closed um that article was showing that they were actually having to blast their way through the road and open the highway so um it just goes to illustrate that it could be that it's, it's really quick that you can end up completely isolated and cut off from cut off from your uh, your support lines yeah so highway 97 starts basically in the okanagan valley right at the u.s border and goes all the way up past prince george and which is right in the dead center of the province all the way up way up to Dawson Creek, BC. So it, it basically bisects the province. So right where it meets the Trans-Canada at the north end of the Okanagan is probably where that happened, I guess. And um, yeah, it doesn't take much for avalanches around there. It's really steep terrain uh, in the Revelstoke area, that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's just certainly, it's, it's that time of year, right? So do you think all the vaccines are on the trucks that can't get through the highway? Is that why people aren't giving them to their kids? 
could be. Wasn't that, wasn't that dog sled? Wasn't that how the vaccines were delivered back in the day? I feel like we could still get dog sleds through. Yeah, interestingly enough, like, I mean, whether or not you're pro or anti-vaccine or whatever, I don't even want to get started with that one. But the thing is, okay, so if, if you are vaccinated, you shouldn't be worried about somebody else infecting you if they're sick. I mean, you should be fine, right? So, I mean, if they work, you shouldn't have to worry about it. If they don't work, well, then why are you doing it? I don't know. Like, uh, it's one of those things where you... Oh, you get, I got in a huge thing on Facebook today about vaccines with some people. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's no easy answer. Like, you know, they talk about herd mentality and they t- or herd, herd, uh, herd healthiness. Herd immunity. Or herd, I, I, herd, I, I herd immunity, herd that's mentalities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that too, yeah. It's a totally sides, different thing. Yeah, on both sides of the argument, I think it's very apt description of the situation. Oh, <laughs> and both sides of that discussion are dug right in. And so, I mean, whether or not you can talk about uh, st- the stuff other than the actual vaccines and like the adjuvants and everything else, or you can talk about, uh, like you said, uh, Bill Gates's plan to reduce the population through vaccinations, which is on record <laughs> saying. I mean, oh, yeah, there's just no end to that argument. <laughs> and everybody's right. That's what makes it such a great. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. And not only that, but you're worse than Hitler for being on the other side of the argument. <laughs> You're you're worse than Hitler for being on any side of an argument. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I. What do you have first in the museum? I got uh, a couple there. One, uh, a train carrying crew derails in Manitoba. So it was on the CBC. And interestingly enough, because pipelines are evil, um, they've been taken to carrying crude oil on trains. And so if the Lac Megantic thing couldn't teach us enough, there's another one that derailed in Manitoba here, which is, of course, spilled oil everywhere into a town and. And so on and so on. And of course, it's going to pollute the water supply and it's going to do all sorts of other stuff. So, I mean, pipelines may have their issues, but I think their accident leak rate is probably a hell of a lot lower than train derailments, which happen weekly. So, well, and also the whole explosive fire thing where you can't control it when hundreds of cars explode simultaneously. Well, yeah. Like, I think well, like a pipeline maybe has a very small, consistent leak. Whereas, like, a train doesn't until it does. And then it's really, 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 really bad. <laughs> and then probably causes the billions in damage in lawsuits, in which case yeah. uh, could have bought a whole new pipeline for that. Yeah, like death and a bunch of stuff and like 10 times worse than whatever minimal damage is done by the slow, small leak in the middle of nowhere that's not affecting anybody. And, and well, the, the that, oil could, going back into the same ground from whence it came. Yeah. Or, but you could talk about the, the capitalist perspective is too, is like every leak in oil pipeline is lost revenue for a capitalist trust me they do their best to make sure there's no leaks because they don't want to take it off the bottom line so i mean i would say that the monitoring for leaks yeah. is pretty huge they have small airplanes that go up and down pipelines looking for telltale signs of a leak just to make sure they don't have it because why why lose money absolutely and so um yeah i would say that they're probably better monitored than the train system which is yeah. run by humans which are prone to error I mean, look at like when they, they make alcohol, look at what they go through to minimize evaporation and not have to pay the taxes on that because that's going to happen. So I imagine it's pretty similar on the oil industry because mm-hmm. yeah, every missing milliliter is money out of their pocket. And if they're such, yeah, as you said, evil capitalists, they're going to want every single penny out of it. So just like using every part of the animal to beat plant, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're going to want to use every bit of that oil for sure. Yeah. So um, the other article I wanted to cover off was that two people actually got caught in an avalanche within the normal bounds of a ski hill. And so it was on CBC as well. And it was at Castle Mountain, Calgary. And so even though they were totally skiing where they should be 
and they didn't break any any boundary issues or anything else which usually what happens um they're just minding their own business on the scale got caught in an avalanche so i mean just because you're on a semi-controlled patch of land in the mountains doesn't mean you're safe so i decided to mention that one as well danger is everywhere looks around every corner yeah did they live? I, did, I didn't read the article did they live oh yeah i mean the fact okay. is is that uh, uh most skiers nowadays usually either have a locator or have some sort of idea of what to do but i think it's a pretty minor avalanche over overall but still yeah, i mean you always get hit by i would yeah. say uh yeah you, you don't want to see that wall of stone coming down you no matter what so Anyway, so what have we done lately for preps, which I could think takes us to Gavin? Uh, well, I guess uh, not a whole lot, but uh, I have been getting some course curriculum together for some friends that are traveling overseas to some of those uh, third world countries, if you will. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of going through some stuff on how to get them prepared for events like kidnappings or other things that, that happen when you're in an area you're not familiar with. And you may or may not be able to have some of the stuff that you carry with you on a regular basis. So improvised weapons, medicine, and things like that. Did you make them watch uh, Taken with Liam Neeson? No, because that would make them racist, apparently, now. <laughs> okay. And I was going to say, like, uh, one of those LoJack devices, they can get their personal location something, or maps.me, like we mentioned last week, about free, uh, free, <laughs> free offline maps or something for them. No, first no. Up. yeah, nothing, nothing that fancy. It's all very, very low tech because, uh, oh, what is it? I, there's a quote somewhere, and I'm going to butcher it horribly now. But uh, I guess the the more high tech a system, the more prone it is to primitive attacks. Sure enough, yeah, the emergency locator can get smashed pretty easy with a hammer or a rock. Yeah, for that matter. So, you know, the more crazy scientific, you know, tech based things that people will try to use on you yeah just smashing it with a rock will be more and more effective so we try to keep it pretty pretty simple and low tech because people aren't going to think a whole lot if you have a you know a pen in your pocket but you know within a few seconds you can sharpen that pen on some concrete and now you've got a very pointy very deadly thing for sure allegedly allegedly but yeah, like I was saying, that maps.me does not require cell phone coverage or anything else. It's just nice to have the map on your phone. But yeah, it doesn't require a phone. Yeah, it yeah. requires a phone. But I mean, at least if you download the map and you don't have a cell phone plan for that particular country, at least you, you can like make sure the taxi driver isn't taking you in the wrong direction or, um, you know what I mean? Like make sure you yeah. can double check their work, so to speak. I usually have one of those little button compasses that I carry with me when I go to weird places like that that doesn't take up a whole lot of space. and. But I'm one of those weirdos that does that stuff. So, actually, those I just don't go to weird places. <laughs> yeah, I try not to, but I like traveling. And that button compasses, like, I mean, you get them from like Amazon or whatever, or eBay. But do you actually have you found some that are actually fairly decently reliable? Yeah, the one the one I have is I, I I'll have to find out where it's from and I'll let you know. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, because some of them just just sit there and spin or never do settle on north or anything. Oh else, yeah, no, so. this is like it's this is a, a pretty decent quality one that. I know a lot of people that do this kind of stuff. They they rely on it, so that's good. Yeah, it's not one of those garbage like <laughs> dollar stores. <laughs> yeah, like survival compass for three year olds. It doesn't work at all. Great. No, it's yeah. uh, it's not bad. Cool, Alan. Uh, this week I'm continuing my mission of fitness. Um, 
inspired by the podcast challenge of last week and the week before. Uh, I've been training every day after being stuck in an office for over a year of 70 plus hour weeks. It feels good to be up and moving again. Uh, I'm just starting a 27 day stretch of working. I won't have a day off until March 14th, I believe, March 15th. Um, and so I'm, uh, I'm my, my prepping has been mostly meals and uh, <laughs> meals and laundry, so I don't have to do so I don't have to do it through this uh, through this nasty stretch. Um, in terms of long term long term prepping, I've got uh, um, food like meals stored away now. Long term long term storage now for uh, approximately eight people in the house for a week, which is you know a month or more for the average occupancy of our house and hopefully uh we're and i'm getting close to my goal which is a goal of uh, a month for full capacity of the house um this week i spent a lot of time practicing knot tying uh it's been a uh it's been a while since i've just sat down uh tied knots reminds me of my my first survival mentor uh scouter jeff if he's listening he probably isn't he was uh he was an rcr guy way back in the day um when i was in scouts and he reminded us that if, uh, if you can't tie knots tie lots and so I've uh, I've, I've done uh, done a few of the, I've done a few of those I actually put a uh, on my Instagram page if you uh, if you care to uh, go find me at uh, uh, at PPSWO uh, put up a few uh, a few helpful knots that uh, that might might get you through if uh, if need if need be have you ever done any sailing or like how'd you get your start with knots in general like uh, just boy scouts or yeah, it was it was literally just through scouts. Um, Scouter Jeff had this um, had this tendency to forget to bring important things when we were going camping. So one time he forgot he forgot to bring the sleep, the tents. He forgot to throw them in the truck. And so uh, if we wanted to be warm, it was a it was a February camp. And uh, if we wanted to be warm, we had to build shelters and we had to build fire and we had to build it quickly. Um, and so we we drilled we drilled on knots. We drilled on ropes. We drilled on how to uh, how to how to make things how to make how to make nature work in our favor and uh that was that was it it's been it's been just kind of a a, a hobby of mine since i was you know eight nine years old um i can make a figure eight not do whatever i want with it it's, it's amazing how handy that kind of thing even if you just know like a couple of ones like you know if you know a couple of hitches and a couple of bends and this and that like what you can accomplish with those and absolutely but it, it, it really doesn't take a lot of knowledge, but a little no. bit of knowledge that can be, that is really, really practical. Um, I, well, I remember when I did my Hunter's Ed course, the, the screen, like the, the, the projector screen was on one of those stands that's kind of spring loaded and it wasn't sitting right. And so a little bit of, paracord that was in my, that was in my backpack and a couple of adjustable knots. And I was able to keep it square for the weekend while we were watching, while we were watching the, the videos when I did my, uh, my, um, pal and hunter's ed courses yeah paracord is handy because that's one of the things that you need to keep in your secret squirrel kit just saying <laughs> if you're if your shoelaces aren't paracord you do yeah. not deserve to be watching this this episode right now pretty much yeah well i know i have to ask if the question is did did scouter jeff really forget the tents oh no it was 100 percent on purpose no question it was on purpose we didn't realize it at the time but it was a hundred percent on purpose that was he if if we were given the option of building a shelter from whatever we could find on the ground and piled up snow or sleeping in tents we would choose sleeping in tents every time if we didn't have the choice 
we built the shelters and we built them damn warm because we were kids and we were wusses. Yeah. No question. It was 100% on purpose. And I, and I thank him for it. Single time camping. I rem- I remember all those lessons of you know how to build a fire and how to how to block the wind and how to how to adjust for the wind and all of those good things. Kind of that, like that mean uncle that threw you in the pool to get you to start swimming, but on like more of a larger scale with winter camping. You'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, you only did get you- hypothermia once. So. Yeah. Did Did you really need all ten toes or not? I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No oh, man. So really actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like knots again. You could use them for anything like the reef knot, everything else. But oh, those the five fifty paracord is what I was gonna come back to. Uh, but definitely buy the spool if you can. If you can save up and just buy a big spool. Oh yeah. I find those hundred knot hanks that they that send you. After the first usage, it ends up like you turn around and it's gone into like this giant ball that you can't undo. So I end up trying to use the spools as often as I can because it's just it's so handy. Yeah. There's actually a kit you can buy that you can spool your own, and then it even holds a little lighter in this thing, and it's got like a, a strap cutter, so you can cut the... They're pretty neat. I have about 17 different colors that I've just collected over the years, and yeah, I just I take everything apart and I spool it. I, I've used old fishing line reels, and I spool all my paracord on it. Oh, see, that's that's just clever then. Okay. Yeah. Now I feel bad, because I've, I've still got this hang sitting in my suitcase. So oh, yeah. Like... My jack is all balled up and <laughs> but I, I like i said i still have that book that shows me how to tie a 550 cord uh bracelets so I, I have a reason for having it in my suitcase so it's all good yeah <laughs> yeah as for myself i guess um week uh, three now i guess of the keto diet i don't know like my wife's uh holistic nutritionist as well so she's kind of behind it she she's you know okay with the science behind it and it seems to be going well i haven't really stepped on the scale since but it seems to be i feel better uh, it's certainly working so far. If you feel um, better, that's what counts. Yeah, and I, I mean, the weight gain has stopped, that's for sure. And um, yearly work medical is happening in March, so I guess I'll know if by then for sure officially if there's any results. Um, as far as that, so we're just going through that big snow melt now. So we had that big snowstorm a little while ago and uh, just trying to get everything, uh, I guess, uncovered. Uh, we had a bunch of uh, logs that we'd bucked up before, but they got glued together with the snow. Uh, so as they get uh, pulled out of the snow and piled those up as well. We fixed a lot of damage to the uh, bird netting for the chicken coops. So um, as the heavy snow hit, it's all wet and gross. Just falls to the ground and the chickens can't even get outside the coops. So we had to pull those out and fix all those. Um, water collection facilities took a hit as well. So uh, not only frozen solid, some of them, but even some of the eaves troughs got uh, destroyed. So we had to fix some of those. Just uh, that wimpy West Coast eaves troughs, right? And the uh, see here, we placed some eggs in the incubator to improve our egg production, and we started uh, this year's meat birds. So that allows us to sell some hatching eggs down the road. Uh, once we've got our own taken care of, we can uh, sell day old chicks or just the fertilized eggs. Uh, carry on with some more reloading, and then made one last trip to the range before my summer vacation ended. Uh, poorly timed summer vacation, and then uh, finished my gas rotation of my jerry cans. So it worked out well. So I got fresh gas all around. Nice. It's a, it's a lot more prepping than either of Gavin, than either Gavin or I did. Yeah. Well, like I said, summer, summer vacation. You guys will actually be having legit summer vacation. I'll be at work, so it, it all works out in the end. Yeah, and you know when you know stuff goes really sideways, we'll just trek ourselves out to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's my plan. I've heard yes. that before. Yeah. 
As long as you bring like tons of food with you and, and you know toys and stuff, it'd be fantastic. I will bring all the guns. <laughs> I, I have like four drones around here and like 17 nerf guns how, how does that work actually question on drones uh does the Canadian military have any drones we were actually discussing this the other day with a, with a third party i i imagine we do but we're probably like we've probably bought second or third hand ones and we're not allowed to whip them out yeah, and show them how big they are or anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Uh, it's actually- I, I would imagine I would imagine the stuff that they actually want to deploy we don't know about yet. Yeah. Because interestingly enough, like uh, I guess from an automated automation perspective and job loss perspective, that down in the US, I guess like a third of the Air Force pilots now are drone pilots. Uh, which theoretically is good because if the drone gets shot down, they can just take over another drone and keep going, right? But yeah. uh, you can see down the road, there's going to be uh, autonomous ones that the Soviets are already unleashing and everything else. I'm just kind of wondering if we're just being left behind the dust here or what's going on with that. We don't have I, any I, enemies. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that, you know, eventually most frontline combat stuff is going to be some sort of drone, be it little robot people or tanks or whatever are going to be unmanned because no loss of life right the simpsons called this in like 1994 um when uh when bart and lisa went to the military academy they said the the wars of the future will not be fought by men they will be fought by drones and they will be fought by robots in space or on top of very tall mountains and your job will be very clear it will be to maintain and service these these robots yeah and interestingly enough, I mean, Kalashnikov company, our AK-47 uh, forefathers there, they just unleashed the first kamikaze drones. They took a page from World War II there, and they've got this small, like, man-sized drone. And basically, its job is to go about half an hour towards the enemy and just dive down with the explosives pretty much vertically and self-destruct. Yep. And that's just what their, their new thing is. So it's a completely disposable drone. How do you how do you attack an enemy that doesn't care whether it lives or dies? <laughs> and it's coming straight down. So if you shoot at it with the anti aircraft gun, it's still going to keep coming straight down. It's still coming straight down at you. Yep. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, that was a very interesting article. All right, so uh, time to move on to the main topic of the show. So, uh, who has some pet theories they want to discuss? And we can go uh, like we talked about JFK mo- faked moon landings, or even much to some of our listeners, this maybe we could discuss the existence of Sasquatch. <laughs> I don't think there's any Sasquatch out there. Um, we, if we ever see me at five in the morning, then we know that there's a there's there's there, we're all, I'm only one step off the missing link. <laughs> um, let's let's uh, you know here's here's one. It's, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, where are we? Went uh, 18 years, almost 18 years out now. Um, the big question: Does jet fuel melt steel beans? This was a theory that's been circulating shortly after the 9-11 terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in New York City. Theory claims that since jet fuel only burns at about 1,500 degrees, it cannot possibly melt the structural steel beams in the uh, in the World Trade Center because the structural steel beams require about 2,700 degrees of heat to melt. I have two points about this. One. The steel did not need to melt in any way, shape, or form. It just needed to lose strength. That starts to happen around 850 degrees. And at 1100 degrees, it loses 50% of its strength. The weight of the building does the rest. 
second point that I have about that is the oven effect. So while the fuel itself may only burn around 1500, being concentrated in a concrete building builds that heat up much higher and has a lot more time on target, which means that the effects of the heat are slightly greater. I was reading an article about the national from the National Institute for Steel Construction. So they are the leading subject matter experts in how buildings like that are, are built and how stable and safe they are. They said that once the consumable materials in the building ignited, such as the curtains, the desks, paper, computers, carpeting, all the stuff inside, it's reasonable to say that pockets of heat achieved uh, heat, heat pockets as high as 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit, which is enough to melt, to, to reduce the strength of the structural steel down to about 10% initial rating. So you couple that with hours and hours of no firefighting, meaning that it's got lots of time on target. You've got all the vertical, the vertical shafts, including the, the elevators, service ducts, stairwells, all that stuff, carrying the heat up and down. And there's no, there's no question that all of that points to the, uh, the internal heat caused by, initiated by the jet fuel is more than enough to bring down those buildings. Well, and I imagine, I mean, with, you know, the windows being smashed out and everything, there's going to be plenty of oxygen feeding that, plus the added yep. weight of an airplane stuck in the building. Yep. I and mean, then the fact that none of the fire partition, all, all, all the fire partition doors were open because people were clamoring out the stairwells. So the, so the doors that are designed to keep the heat isolated into specific pockets are now open and therefore they're not keeping the heat in specific places. Yep. Uh, I'm go I'm going with it's totally plausible, the, the exactly the way that we saw it happen on TV. And so, of course, being contrarian, I had to like put in a couple articles just to, to you know to push your buttons. So, <laughs> so I, I said I said so so that doesn't explain Building Seven, which had no planes hit it. And uh, of course, you mentioned something about seismic activity then. Right. Well, I mean, the seismic activity is recorded, right? When the built, when the tower, when the first two towers collapsed, it was like it, it registered, right? So if if you're if you're if picture the kitchen table, and there's a Jenga there's a Jenga set in the middle of the table, now shake the table. Does the Jenga set fall down? Right. If you shake the table hard enough, the stuff that's on it's going to fall over. Alternately, there's a, in that, that same article that I, that, I, that I referenced, the World Trade Center, so or, um, WT7, so the, the number seven tower, uh, was largely powered or had a lot of backup generators apparently. So one of, the, uh, one, of the major, one of the main occupants was actually the city of New York. They had their, their, emergency, um, their emergency command center there, which was all powered by emergency generators, which were all fueled by significant underground fuel tanks. So because of because of the uh, because of the jolts and the uh, and the um, impacts related to the original the original attack, the there were there was a, a resulting fire in the in the in the number seven building because there was no firefighting effort and because it was fueled by these large fuel tanks that were underground, you had exactly the effect just over a longer period and without the, the the introduction of the external oxygen and that's why it also fell down eventually and so of course most i couldn't even find anything that was like from a credible source on the uh the whole 
buildings burning for for forever and not collapsing uh, i think they're like i went from collectiveevolution.com <laughs> so the, what about the, the missing debris in front of the pentagon and the and the free sorry the free thought project uh, was another one so of course uh, they, yeah we can go into the pentagon in a second here but the um Interestingly enough that they had this Chechnya high-rise burn for 29 hours with no collapse, but I mean, and it was like totally engulfed in flames head to toe, but probably didn't get as hot and maybe it was built like strong like Russian bull or something. But well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, all, it's all about the construction methods too, right? Like one of the things about um, about the World Trade Center is that it had, it had no interior columns. So it was supported yeah. only by the exterior wall and the elevator shafts. There were oh, really? no rear columns yeah and that was one that was one of the features it was revolutionary at the time and that eventually led to the in hindsight probably a bad idea yeah maybe not the best idea in the world right so when you when you've got different construction methods you can't even compare you can't even compare the two buildings i mean yes other buildings have burned for longer and not collapsed um but other buildings have burned for far less time and collapsed under the weight so um it's it's not it's not even a fair comparison um and that was one of the big things about the world trade center there were no interior vertical columns also fun fact about the world trade center every door in that building in both towers one one and two could be opened by a single key oh geez that's a locksmith nightmare isn't it yeah absolutely i i can only imagine i actually i uh um i actually i did a case study on it when i was teaching about master keying as a locksmith and and we were talking about how like enormously large and complex that system was because each floor had its own master and then each unit had its own master within that and then individual rooms but one key opened the entire complex well, that's interesting so yeah we'd love to, to joke about the conspiracy here at 9-11 i mean you know we look at a government who can't run a balanced budget and at the time the guy who was a few months into a term was supposedly masterminding thing and he couldn't even get the fool me once uh, slogan right yeah. <laughs> yeah so i i just i just i just don't think overall i just don't think that the government of the united states of america was is capable of covering up and keeping quiet such a large yeah. conspiracy i just don't think it's possible i i would agree with you guys but i certainly think there's a lot of weird things that are still not explained about this whole thing Oh, of course. Lack of lack of bodies in Philadelphia, lack of debris in the, the Pentagon, and we go you on know, like I can, and, and, just, we could spend everything and just on this one conspiracy. Oh theory, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's whole. <laughs> there, I'm sure there's whole podcasts and websites and everything dedicated to it. But like, oh, there there absolutely are. Yep. You know, and but I, I think it's a kind of a lot like the. I mean, you know, the the British and everything with the Enigma machine. Like, maybe they didn't plan it but they certainly knew that things were happening and maybe they let it happen in order to enact new regulations or things like that. And even that's maybe a little iffy, but I mean, the Homeland Security Act and everything came about after the fact, right? Well, the the Patriot Act got rammed through without anybody reading it. And I mean, the fact is that that wouldn't have been the first time in history the U.S. did it either. I mean, look at they knew Pearl Harbor was coming. They did nothing. Yeah. They knew about the Zimmerman telegram for World War One, and that basically, you know, supposedly the Mexico was going to join and start a new front against them. So they had to join the war. And, uh, you know, they... Gulf of Tonkin, whether or not that actually happened or not, I mean, there's the, they knew something was going on there. It's it certainly wouldn't be the first or the last time when they they knew something was coming and just did not. Yeah, because yeah, I would I would say I'd agree that yeah, it's far too big of an event for them to mastermind without somebody talking. But there's definitely some stuff that is jacked up. 
Well, but I mean, let's I mean, let's take it back to World War II, right? Like they knew Pearl Harbor was coming. They didn't stop it. What's what happened? What happened as a result of of the world going to war is the depression ended, right? War is yeah. good for business, yeah. right? Yeah, so when you're in a period of economic of economic depression, it's a it's not a bad thing to go to war. And exactly. it's very good to get people back to work and get people skilled and start and start yeah. making money around. I mean, they, I mean, the U.S prior to to the Pearl Harbor was making money selling to both sides but then they figured out they could make more money if they went back to war yep well, and everybody got on board and instead of being a bipartisan thing it, or sorry instead of yeah. being a single party thing and being isolationist they got a bipartisan support just like the Patriot Act and everything else and um, before you know it they had the whole country behind uh, them like cranking out manufacturing as fast as they could yeah, and it makes, we said, yeah, I mean, and, and everyone went from 30% to 3% in a month. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead and go ahead and tell me that wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't planned, that it wasn't allowed. Yeah. No, exa- exactly. For sure. You had another one we, uh, you wanted to bring up as well. Oh, we do. We, it turns out we do have time for this. Okay. The other one I was going to think of, I was, I was talking about was, uh, anytime I, anytime we hear the term big, I love it. Uh, big pharma. So we, we, we were talking about this before the episode or before we were, before we were live, it makes really good fiscal sense for the medical industry to keep us unhealthy. Does the medical, so my, 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 my tagline in the, uh, in the show notes, does the medical industry really want us healthy? I would say not. A healthy population is not a profitable population. So it's better to have us hooked on medications that make us feel normal than to actually let us feel normal. Um, physically on aside, some of the mood changing medications that get prescribed are, are probably the biggest ones in Canada. We are the third largest consumers in the world of antidepressant medications. Australia is number two and Iceland is number one. I understand Iceland being number one. It's a popular, it's a, it's a population the size of a small town or a small city and they have nothing other than rocks and darkness. And it's hard not to date. And it's hard not to date your first cousin. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed something else. These places have in common: socialized medicine. Yeah. When, when, when the when the drugs are free, the money flows, right? Well, that's yeah. why I was actually surprised the U.S. didn't come in number one. But then I thought about that. And I was like, oh yeah, it's because people would actually have to pay full price for it. Pay for it, yeah. Yeah. Being a $15 billion industry, it's reasonable to believe that it's better to keep us hooked on Xanax than it is to make us healthy. It's also interesting to note that they're, they're now, so te- they're now more, they're now fewer manufacturers of these medications than there were 10 years ago. So more people or more people are taking them, fewer people are making them. And so who actually, who's actually shareholders? Doctors, the people that the people that are the, the people that are benefiting are everybody except the people that are taking it. Well, it's not even a conspiracy theory to say that the doctors do get kickbacks for prescribing certain brand names over the other. It's not called a kickback, but it's called something else. And basically, you get a prescription referral bonus or referral whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Legalized, legalized drug dealing is huge in Canada, right? People that are pharmaceutical salespeople make huge dollars. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think symptom management is the name of the game rather than actually like you know, curing people. Um, that's, that's certainly, uh, that doesn't even almost fall into conspiracy theory. It just falls into like a terrible <laughs> fact. Yeah. No, I will, I will charitable donations front. That's all about finding a cure. <laughs> yeah. People will pump money into that. 
Sure. I, now, I, I will say I had, an, I had an acute medical illness in the, in the summer. I had my appendix removed, and um, there was no attempt to draw that out. My, my appendix was inflamed. I had surgery 36 hours later. I was discharged 24 hours after that. I was told if I wanted pain medication that I could come back and get a prescription for it, but it was it, I was, it was, it was a, a short course of antibiotics. So um, to be fair to everyone, um, it was not it's not a hundred percent it's not it's not a consistent thing um but I, I think especially when it comes to the mood altering drugs it's uh it's a lot easier to keep somebody hooked long term than it is to solve the problem oh for sure and i mean mood altering drug drugs is a is a conspiracy all unto itself i mean look at all the people <laughs> that have committed all kinds of heinous crimes across the world whilst on some sort of psychotropic medication of some sort that is prescribed to them <laughs> mass shooters <laughs> yeah yeah there, there are two things every mass shooter has in common one is an access to guns the other is an access to medication yeah or they, uh, they also seem to be affiliated with a certain political party but that's maybe another show yeah vast, vast majority of registered democrats I just, yes, we're on the wrong cpp for that one yeah 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 Oh yeah, I can't get political. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I would say yeah. Like I mean, there certainly is a business model that is most likely, and that is yeah, it's not in their best interest to find a cure for something, but to keep us hooked on a thing that keeps us mostly well, but not a hundred percent. No, and of course, it begs the question is like if a supply interruption does happen, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. You can imagine how many people are going to start going squirrely when their medication runs out slash wears off and everything else. Because, I mean, if that's the only thing preventing people from, you know, acting crazy, that's not a good thing. Actually, I had a guy that was um, living in the crown land behind the house um, fairly semi, I guess, regularly a couple of years ago. And finally he got to the point where he was actually coming onto the property and ended up having to get the police over uh, because he wouldn't leave and this guy was like none of than squirrel turd and anyways what it boiled down to is they, they showed up, they knew him by name, they knew him by sight turns out his dad was actually an RCMP officer and <laughs> when they uh, told him he had to go he's like that's fine I said so is he actually like a concern should I be like worried about this guy and they're like oh he's fine as long as he's on his medication I'm like well how am I supposed to know that so was, uh, so, was, yeah. so was Mr. Lee there in Saskatchewan. He was fine yeah. as long as he was on his medication. And when he wasn't, a dude lost his head. Yeah, so, literally. But it's okay because he's, he's out back in the population now and he's totally fine so long yeah. as he's not on his meds. As long as he's on his meds. And he, and he promised he would stay on them, so that's what's important, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, how, how, could, how could that go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Until the voices tell him to stop, stop <laughs> taking the pills. And... Oh, yeah. uh, a squirrel moment, squirrel moment. Uh, Ryan, Reynolds, uh, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, we all love him, uh, but he actually did a very interesting movie. It's very dark, and it's, it, but it's, it's a dark comedy kind of thing. It's called The Voices, and basically it, it's a movie that takes place from the perspective of the guy on the antipsychotic medication and basically when he's on his medication everything's bright and shiny and wonderful and everything else and the and the severed heads into the fridge talk to him and every morning and you know greet him good morning and everything else and when he decides he has to start taking his pills again he discovers the severed head in his in his fridge that isn't talking and it's quite rotting and he discovers all the the 
animal poop in his apartment and the fact that it hasn't been cleaned in, in years and everything else. He doesn't like being off his medica- or on his medication, so he goes off it. Everything goes bright and shiny again. And it's a, it's a very so interesting, very interesting take from a exact opposite of a beautiful mind. Then. Exactly. So it was very interesting. Oh, the fact oh, that, uh, was that that kids in the hall movie, Brain Candy. Candy, yeah, <laughs> that was a good one too. Uh, yeah, so like if you ever want an interesting perspective from the the mind of a of a warped individual, that was uh, for a, for such a famous actor, he did one. It was only like two years ago he did that movie. Wow, I've never even heard of that. I will have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, called the voices, and it's got Anna Kendrick and uh, Gemma Arterton and a couple other you know fairly big wow. names in there. How have I never heard of this? Yeah, it was uh, it was very like critically well received, but didn't get any sort of traction because it was dark. I like those kind of movies, though. It's, I mean, the darker they're better, really, in my opinion. Yeah. But I've got a pretty warped sense of humor. <laughs> well, you'll like this one for sure. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I guess it brings me to my my little pet one. Uh, actually, we want to talk about uh, yours, Gavin, too. Yeah, if we got time, I can do that. I mean, I can run through the story. I think it ties in kind of to the whole 9-11 thing. Um, yeah, for sure. But... Uh, some, some quick context for it. Uh, I know a bunch of guys down in Utah that I hang out with, and one of those guys, while sitting around a bonfire one evening, uh, told me this story. And I have no reason not to believe him, uh, because at the time, he was kind of one of the, the bomb experts in the U.S. and was boots on the ground a few days after it happened. But the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, so I guess there was a, an FBI agent that was stationed in a place called, I think it's Elom City. I don't have any notes in front of me, so this is all off the top of my head. She kind of heard some rumors that there was some people looking for someone to plant a bomb and do some stuff. So she went to her bosses at the FBI, and they're like, ah, this isn't really our bag. Go, go talk to the ATF. So she goes to talk to the ATF. They're like, okay, so we're going to have you now work for us. So she starts working with the ATF. So they start tailing McVeigh. And, you know, they're, they're tracking him. And he goes to visit this guy and that guy and everything else. And they kind of start putting the story together of what, what he's going to do. Um, and, and throughout this sort of process, I guess, there's reports of him being seen with uh, what appear to be Mexicans because they're darker-skinned fellows with giant mustaches. That's racist. Um, yes. Um, but that's the description that everybody did, did, got. Were they wearing sombreros as well? Is that how they made <laughs> They, they may as well have been. But the, the, the official reports are that, like, there were people with... It was McVeigh and, like, three or four guys that appear to be Mexican. Um, so, you know, eventually it gets to the point where this is getting towards the day... So the F or the ATF decides to basically burn the identity of this agent that brought this all to them. So they are now like on the run, like fleeing for their life because um, they've totally been outed. McVeigh pulls the truck up in front of the building and apparently him and these Mexican fellows. And for those that don't see it, I'm using the air quotes for Mexicans. I'll get back to that. Um, bomb goes off uh, it's an info bomb for those that know that kind of stuff which is basically all bark and no bite it's diesel fuel and fertilizer so it's a lot of fireball but not really a whole lot of concussive 
force when in terms of explosive stuff. Half the building is leveled. Um, everybody, you know, runs and panics and everything. But just prior to this, there's a bunch of phone calls that happen where people are asking why there is a bomb squad stationed a few blocks away. Hmm. But in the panic ensuing shortly after the bombing, everybody heads in the direction towards where this bomb squad is stationed. So this particular bomb squad, which happens to be the ATF bomb squad, is not first on the scene. The local police department, who is also very close and happens to be located where the traffic didn't go, gets to the scene first and secures the scene and does all that. And if you watch and you can find some of the original footage, they actually pull some sort of a device out of the building on the half that's still standing. So it didn't go off. So that only aired on the live broadcast and none of the other broadcasts after that even mention it. So that's handy. Yeah. And so McVeigh, you know, takes off and heads out of there and happens to get pulled over by a police officer who is like two weeks from retirement for a seatbelt infraction and ends up getting thrown in jail for some reason for this. So the manhunt is on, they're looking for him everywhere, they can't find him, and then all of a sudden it comes up, holy crap, we've got the bomber in custody already. That's convenient. Yeah. But then, remember the movie SWAT where they got the like international murderer on a broken taillight? Yeah. That was so, also that was also Ted Bundy too. They got him on a broken yeah tail. yeah they got him like a like, broken tail. But like every everybody's right, so. evacuating the city, and you know everyone's evacuating the city, and you pull a guy over for a seatbelt infraction. And wasn't there like a building evacuation order to certain members of certain offices? And well, and so that's what I was just gonna say. So like that's basically the gist of what happened. But here's some interesting facts. There was not a single ATF agent that was killed during this whole thing, despite the fact that they have offices that took an entire floor up. They were the ones investigating the case and they had credible evidence that said this was happening prior to it happening. Okay. They also, instead of becoming, or being the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, which sounds like the coolest job ever, and were almost about to get shut down all of a sudden became the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. So they gained new powers as a result of their involvement in this particular incident. Um, I'll, I'll counter that. Al Capone only went to jail for tax evasion. Yes. Right? So maybe they yeah. got him on a seatbelt violation. There are those air quotes again. Hmm. They got him on a seatbelt violation, but maybe they knew what they were looking for, and the seatbelt exactly. violation is just what well, gave him the probable cause to pull him over. With a cop two weeks from retirement. Right? Who's got nothing so to lose. So you've got... Yeah. And he's guaranteed so his pension. 
Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give them a pass on the seatbelt violation just because that's, that's something they can use as probable cause to pull them over. I remember, I used to watch cops when I was when I was young, and they, they would know that the guy just left a drug house, but they would tail him until he, until he ran a stop sign, pull him over because he ran a stop sign, and then find the drugs. Right. So you gotta, you gotta take, you gotta take what you can to protect people's constitutional rights and still do your job. And so th- this is the, the sort of last little interesting part of this thing. And this is the, the part that really threw me when I heard it at first. And, and, and I don't know if it's true. Like I said, I have no reason to believe my buddy is lying. And like he worked for certain other three letter agencies. Um, he did a lot of security work over in the Middle East and was stationed pretty high up. Um, and he heard through the person that he was bodyguarding in the Middle East that the bombing was not actually uh, McVeigh's idea, but Saddam Hussein sent a bunch of Iraqis to... Mexicans. Yeah, and so that's where the whole Mexican thing is dark-skinned and, and big mustaches, so... No sombreros. Okay. No sombreros. Yeah. Set them that's that's to, the big distinguisher. Yeah. To, to Oklahoma to try and and find who could do this and who they could kind of push to do this to make it look like it was homegrown, and the reason why he picked Oklahoma was because it's pretty much damn near in the middle of the United States. So he was literally striking at the heart of America. So that's okay. So one of those that's, things where again, it's it's there's some weird stuff that went on, and again, it's maybe not the government planning it, but it's maybe the government letting it happen in order to acquire new powers or enact new regulations and yeah. stuff like that. But that's a, a, a an oldie, but a, a goodie in my books, if you will. See, I knew those guys were trouble. Well, they weren't. They weren't eating chorizo tacos right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be the These dead Mexicans giveaway. were definitely not eating tamales. So yeah, no, no, no bacon and eggers for them. So no uh, bueno. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, coolest job ever. Because you imagine they're sitting there, like you know, swirling cognac, smoking a cigar, and shooting a gun, like. You know what would make this job even better? If yeah. we had a grenade to go oh, with it. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to get that E in the title. How can we do this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's one of those things that like a lot of people don't really talk about it anymore because it happened so long ago. And like within days of the, the building blowing up, they collapsed the whole building. So like the evidence of it was not there for very long. Well, you can't have anybody questioning the narrative. I mean, come on. That just... Yeah, but there's that... so many like weird little things that are just like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. Like, who pulls somebody over for a seatbelt infraction when, like, the entire city is evacuating? Like, like you've got to be, like, the biggest asshole cop in the world to do that to somebody at that point. Time. Right, but he's, he's two weeks from retirement, so he's got to make his numbers now. Or <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he got that monthly I, quota. They got to make that monthly quota before. <laughs> I got I got to give him a pass on that. I yeah. really, really do. I, I give I give yeah. the, I give the cop a pass on that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Weird. 
Absolutely, that'd be weird. It's, it, it does you raise know, a lot and, of interesting questions. And even yeah. not to make not to make light of the whole thing, because yeah, obviously there's loss of life, and then it was it was quite a turning point in, in the or was yeah. there. But by the same token, though, it's like you know if you're going to make it a little more realistic, and you know what's going to come. Now is the time to give it to Frank, the guy in the office that you don't like, and say, hey, listen, ATF, we we lost a couple guys too. Like Frank was left in the office there, and oh, yeah. geez, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy he's been trying to fire for forever. Exactly, yeah. It's like Milton right. off of Office Space, right? Yeah, or that guy that the guy that never gives you his place of his birthday cake, right? <laughs> you could relocate him to sub basement B, or you could just not tell him about the plant and not be in the building. Well, yeah, like I mean, if they're if they're already going to the lengths of like blowing up several hundred people, like I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's Under, somewhere in the sixty-eight people died. Yeah, so you're already killing people. What's a couple more to from to your it, own agency to make it more look less like you had nothing to do with this? I mean. Yeah. It, it's I mean, really if you're if you're gonna, if you're going to be an evil bastard, be an evil bastard, right? Like, don't be really good evil bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Not that we're teaching people how to do that kind of stuff on here. That's, no. I don't think we need to teach them how to do that. People who want to be evil bastards are going to be evil bastards, whether we ask them to or not. Yeah, that's true. So I think we need to turn about uh, talk about the next subject. <laughs> <laughs> which is atrazine, which is turning the frogs gay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you guys have probably heard it in previous podcasts on uh, Patreon podcasts, and even me mentioning this a couple of times during the water filtration chat, that uh, you don't want to turn those frogs gay. So atrazine, to give you guys a bit of background for the listeners, is a pesticide that, uh, sorry, herbicide or pesticide? Technically, it's a herbicide. Uh, it's used in corn and sorghum production, and it's basically used in the flyover states like uh, on a grossly larger proportion than the rest of the continental U.S. So basically, um, the the Corn Belt, Iowa, and all that area, it's heavily used there. Um, and the problem is what they've run into is that this atrazine has been leaching into the water supply. Now, of course, they've linked it to fertility issues, uh, causing certain types of cancer and hormonal changes in women. So of course, they immediately start doing some lab testing after it had been released and it turns out that it was causing some actually laboratory frogs to change genders arbitrarily which i guess is a thing if you watch jurassic park it's a thing frogs do so uh, <laughs> anyway so uh what the turning the frogs gate thing comes from is an alex jones quote and if you guys can google it if you're listening to the podcast about uh alex jones's uh rant about how the the frogs are turning gay and how the tap water is a gay bomb and everything else i I mean, as far as conspiracy theory goes, I don't think Alex Jones was way off. His delivery might have needed some work. So, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Although well, I think it was for Halloween, he did a whole episode where he dressed up as a gay frog. <laughs> so and, and clearly not very politically correct about the whole thing. So if you're going to try and prove a point, I mean, there's there's better ways to go around it. So I yeah. actually population uh, control. Yeah. So I linked a, a Scientific American article. So I figured that is at least a little bit better than some of the other ones I found. <laughs> So um, it turns out that this is a quote is as of 2001, atrazine was the most commonly detected pesticide. So my mistake, it was a pesticide contaminating drinking water in the United States. So society suggested it is an endocrine disruptor and it's an agent that can alter the natural hormonal system. It's been proven now to cause cancer, birth defects and reproductive rate uh, dropping, I guess. So is it safe to use for crops? Well, according to big ag, uh, yes. 
uh, that's debatable. Big Ag, Big Pharma. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. In, right in tight together. You know who else this ties into? That whole ethanol fuel nonsense, because it seems to be coming from the corn states. Exactly. Ooh, and keep mind, this is the same group of people that also told you that thalidomide and aged orange were good ideas at the, at the time, too. So, um, yeah. Legitimate. And, yeah. Legitimately, I mean, uh, would the world be able to produce as much food if they didn't use modern chemicals and fertilizers? Probably not. But by the same token, obviously, there's there's some bigger issues with atrazine being used in the States. So as far as the conspiracy so, theory goes, it is certainly causing some problems. We have had a noticeable drop in reproductive rates in, uh, in North America in the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. So that's something we could maybe use correlation versus causation. We've also yeah. had a significant increase in the availability of porn. Yeah. That's true, so, too. Correlation versus causation. Yeah. Here's a question. How is how is that pe- particular pesticide applied? Uh, sprayed. But it's, uh, well, most of them are. They're just sprayed over top of the crops, and the basic just leaches in. So would it be safe to say that it's, um, it is a, it is a by, say, crop-dusting airplanes? Ah, uh, No. Actually, uh, the reason you can't do that is you have to wait till there's no wind to apply this stuff, and you have to actually use like a low-level sprayer because if you don't, being capitalist, they don't want to waste extra atrazine because it costs money. So they have to actually distribute it as most efficiently well, as they, possible. Yeah, I mean to get the most number of gay people. <laughs> That's right. Apply it sparingly in the right places. Yeah. That's right. And clearly, they don't like those flyover states very much because that's where they're using most of it. So, yeah. and it, so, it, so they, this isn't something that they would just load into airplanes and drop and drop over major cities as chemtrails. No, see, that, that's, that's another that's another whole episode we could talk about. Yeah, no, it's, it's not the it's not the east coast of Canada where they were touching like DEET and everything else and all kinds of other stuff where they just are like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We don't like these people. <laughs> they're, they're just Nova Scotians, whatever. It's fun. Yeah. And, and honestly, actually, uh, not a lot of conspiracy theory was declassified and proven true that back in the 1950s, uh, the U.S. military intentionally sprayed the city of Winnipeg with a relatively benign uh, biological agent that caused like flu-like symptoms just so they could test uh, spreading rates between people. So you could see how long it would take for a city to poison itself with the biological agent. So it was very interesting. Cause it, so basically, the entire city of Winnipeg got the flu one time in the 50s, and nobody thought much of it at the time. But at the time, it turns out it was the U.S. just experimenting. The, the problem is, though, is that, like, from all the, the first aid training and stuff I've done, basically the symptoms of the flu are the symptoms of everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're sweaty. Also the symptoms of a heart attack. Yeah. Also the symptoms of major yeah. shock. Yeah, yeah, stroke, everything. So it's like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, you're just gonna die. I think I, I, I don't know. Or it could be nothing. Or it could be nothing. Or it could be, or it could be absolutely nothing. Yeah. yeah. It could just so, be water. I think I'll this, save. This the- is also why telehealth in Ontario is completely useless. Yeah. Well, they don't want to waste their proper nurses' time. Come on, now you're just a just a wage slave, yeah. a tax slave. <laughs> So yeah. anyway, I think we'll leave fluoride for another night. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> fluoride and chemtrails. Our, our floor is fluoride used in chemtrails. Ooh, that's a, the, we're that's a good question. Tie those yeah. together. <laughs> don't be don't be silly. It's atrazine. Come on now. It's <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, back to serious business. Yeah. Here's here's this week's podcast challenge. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to stand up a big one, especially because it's still winter. Um, learn or practice four different ways of making fire 
conventional methods, you use a, you use a match or a lighter. I, th- I hope everybody that's listening to this podcast can do that, make a fire effectively. Uh, next step, use a ferro rod, so uh, of, um, a different a different method that doesn't use a flame but uses a spark. Then add a friction fire, such as a bow drill or a plow, um, something like that, and then use the sun. And that actually ties us into a uh, an email we'll get to in a little bit, in a moment. Um, but find four different ways of making a fire, four different uh, four different sources of heat to ignite your tinder and make a fire. And that is my challenge to everyone this week. I'll give you guys a good one in case nobody knows. Steel wool and a nine volt battery. Oh, absolutely, that's a great absolutely. one. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the ways but we, practice it and make sure that you yeah. can actually not just create a spark but actually create a flame yeah. put your put your kindling on top of that put your fuel on top of that and actually make a fire to keep yourself warm uh practice that a few different ways that's your that's your challenge for this yeah. week i mean vastly and cotton balls you know vastly and cotton balls works good too but i don't want to know if any single guys have that collection in their personal property i don't want to know <laughs> yeah. why but not I, just I don't, I don't want a yeah. for somebody who never uses vastly <laughs> <laughs> so shout outs uh gavin i think i asked you before any shout outs uh no i don't like people oh, that's fair um for myself actually i got a message on youtube uh from a guy named rye uh he's a local prepper he made a youtube comment for me uh he's asking exactly where i am like from an ops perspective i'm not going to give him a lot long although i almost did the other day when i was actually showing the the iphone with the latin long I, 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 you dropped, you dropped the pin by accident yeah like it, it, it almost actually showed i was like oh no so my one the traveling prepper actually said dude you almost gave away your latin long like perfectly on camera I'm like oh yeah i almost did but anyway so uh i'm definitely mid-island so if you're anywhere near there it's uh, and if you're a local guy you know what that means and uh it's definitely away from major centers. Yeah, if we'll if you don't, way. stay the hell away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But for sure, uh, in the contact info later on, Rai, uh, just drop me an email. And if you're uh, local, uh, for sure, let's see if we can meet up. And uh, yourself, Helen. Uh, I will give a shout out to my aforementioned uh, scout leader, Scouter Jeff. Uh, he was an RCR guy. Um, I can't even count how many years ago that was. I'm such an old man now. Uh, but anyways, when I was in scouts, he taught me to keep my head on a swivel, be prepared for the worst, uh, and told me that the right nod in the figure eight family will get you just about anything that you need done. So, uh, Scouter Jeff, if you happen to be listening, I have never forgotten. Sounds good. So no iTunes reviews this week. We did get uh, two listener emails. Uh, Gavin, you want to take the first one? I certainly do. This one is uh, from Kevin. The subject is Ian's EDC for the road kit. I don't think Ian mentioned a magnifying glass. If he did, then I missed it. Buy the Fresno lens one from Amazon. They are dirt cheap, and if you have to pull a splinter, they will help you see it. Man, I've had to do that far too many times. Uh, They are backup fire starter, or if you lose... Your reading glasses, they are great there too. I carry one in my wallet as EDC as well. It's one on my back bug out bag. First aid kit? Back, yep. yes. There you go. Love those TLAs. Uh, what's a TLA? Uh, Three letter acronym. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, first of all, I went full autiste, and so Alan and I were discussing it. It actually turns out it pronounced Fresnel lens, and uh, because it, there's a city of Quinell in British Columbia, and I figured it had to rhyme with that. And we actually had to go to the dictionary for that one. The, the Oxford English Dictionary pronounces it as Fresnel. I'm not one to them. There you go. So um, the magnifying glass. No, I don't have one in my kit at all. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, if you can buy one, and they're flat and light, 
and they work great. But I wonder if it actually would start a fire using the sun, if that would be enough. Like, you, you know, the old glass magnifying glasses from the dollar store work great, but yep. I don't know if one of those would work. You guys ever use the only way to find out? Practice. Yeah, yeah. I've only, I've only ever used the old school glass ones back in the day, no. like in school when I was being, you know, a punk kid. Well, burning ants and stuff like that. You know, yeah. Like, do, yeah, doing kid stuff. Using, yeah. My vaseline soaked cotton balls. That's you know, yeah. vaseline. Yeah. Well, it, ones it, will, will get yeah. you just what in there. Yeah, it's a good Friday night. <laughs> with a Fresnel edge or the cotton balls? Whatever. Who knows Vaseline? One than the other. Yeah, I don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you end up on like watch lists and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I, I think if we're you're not, already, if you're not on a watch list by now. Yeah. yeah I think, I think yeah. if we mentioned Oklahoma City 9-11 and Atrazine in the same podcast, we're on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another listener email. This is from Mike. Mike says, Hey guys, I've been enjoying the show. Had some questions for you. Question one. I heard in one of your episodes that you sell some of your chicken meat. What are the legalities of selling the meat? Do you have to, do you need to have it butchered by a certified butcher? Uh, Ian, I think that was you, wasn't it? That was, that was talking about that. Yep. So that uh, varies province by province, uh, but in the province of British Columbia, the way it works is there's two ways you can go about it. You can you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a actually like have legally status. or illegally. That's no, <laughs> they're both legal. No, come on. I, okay. I would never never recommend me break the law on camera. That's for sure. I said on camera. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so yeah, there's two ways to do it in BC, and uh, basically, if you get it commercially processed by a, like a BC provincially certified or uh, like a chicken or even I guess abattoir of any sort uh, and it's been commercially processed and you can prove that it has been just by one of their labels on the meat or whatever in the package then you can actually sell it over the fence without farm status uh, to anybody uh, for up to a certain amount if you exceed a certain dollar amount basically the government's going to want you to become a, a uh, like a farm status kind of farm, but it, up to a certain amount, you're fine. But they uh, want your tax dollars. Yeah, because they yeah. want your tax dollars. And yeah, basically, the threshold, dollars. depending on what you're doing in BC, the threshold is around 2000 to $2,500 a year. Like, for example, eggs over the fence, they don't care a thing about because there's no packaging required on your part. The chicken does the packaging for you. So it's considered to be a, a perfectly safe food to sell without any sort of commercial intervention. However, uh, there is a way I work around with chicken meat in BC is the fact that if you do not commercially process it and you want to do it yourself, which I have to admit, if you do it correctly at your own house, I have more faith in your own personal system than a commercial system that is run by people making minimum wage. Uh, so, But you can sell meat over the fence as long as you clearly mark it, not for human consumption, meaning you're selling it for dog food or you're selling it for whatever have you. Um, just just to say the words not for human consumption, give it to the other person, sell it, and they what they do with it is their business, but you've made your, your yeah. point. So... Yep. And, so, and a lot of people do sell that as dog food. Like if you have like a spent hen that's old or a, a rooster that's more than a year old, just like a, a hog that becomes like over a year old, the, the boars get a taint to the meat. You don't want to sell them for human consumption anyway. So why commercially process them? Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then Mike's second question. Uh, I moved into a new house last year, although having two ways to heat the house was on my wish list. It was overruled when my wife saw our current place. What are the best ways to add a second way to heat your house? Biggest concern is losing power, not being able to run the furnace. Thanks for a great show. Signed, Mike. Uh, well, Mike, there are as many options as you want for that. Um, 
probably the most basic way is to add a gas insert fireplace. That's going to add value to your home, secondary heat source, doesn't require power, and even your wife will enjoy that it makes for more romantic evenings. Uh, most homeowners can get on board with that. Natural gas lines rarely get shut down like the power grid does. Uh, and if it doesn't need a power vent, if you if you install a system that doesn't need a power vent, then you don't require any power at all to keep that keep that gas fireplace running. Uh, if that's not enough, uh, my next my next go to would be to consider a portable wood stove with a knockdown chimney. I meant that at a window if you pour it, uh, just seal up the window so you're not letting in cold air, and you have as much fuel as you can stack in your uh, stack in your woodshed. Uh, it doesn't take up a lot of space when it's tucked away, and is usable for more things than just heating your home. Take that camping with you. Take that to the hunt camp. Take that wherever you wherever you want to be, out in the uh, out in the cold garage. Uh, I know I have a wood uh, wood stone garage that uh, um, would keep me warm out there. Unfortunately, mine's too big to move into the house, but it would be a, it would be a good secondary source. Uh, if you really want to get go full bore on that, then install a, install a generator with a uh, with a power transfer switch that that just that just runs your uh, just runs your hot, your your uh, your furnace. It just runs the power vent. It won't take a huge amount of draw, and um, that could uh, keep you going. Even you can even get generators that have a natural gas supply or a large propane tank. Uh, that'll keep your uh, keep your house warm and toasty uh, for as much time as you have fuel for. Yeah, you can also, those are a few uh, options. You can get a, an oil furnace as well. Um, yep. The hunt camp that uh, that I go to has one of those, and let me tell you, man, I've been out there in the winter when it's like minus twenty, minus thirty, and like it's got a wood burning stove that you know you can like one of those old school pioneer ones that you know when we get there we light it because that gives us sort of instant heat, um, but it's the the oil furnace that that really heats that place, and I mean it gets so hot that even on low. That you got to open the windows at night because you start sweating and i mean they're, they're great um yeah pellet stoves are also great uh but pellet stoves require power yes but if you have a generator they require very little power that's true if you get a variable speed like an inverter generator that actually like you know winds down yeah. let's draw that's even better well that and and to, to go with that that generator um because i have a little bit of knowledge on this stuff because i sell them there is actually a thing that you can buy that's a little bit of a, it's a transfer switch, but like you don't have to go and get an electrician to wire it in your panel. It doesn't cost a whole lot of money, but it actually installs behind your meter. Oh, so, interesting. So apparently, at least in Ontario, once a year, you're allowed to call your government sponsored electricity provider and they will come and shut off your power for free and allow you to remove the meter and then you can place this thing behind it and as far as i know because we've looked at selling them we just haven't brought them in yet you pull off the face of the meter and this thing slides in behind it then you put your meter back on and you seal it up and it gives you a little plug that you can plug your generator into and it stops the power from feeding back into the grid if all of a sudden the power comes on so it's so not it's an automatic, yeah, it's not a, an automatic switch on when your power goes out, but you can get your, you know, two, 3000 watt generator or whatever you've got when the power goes out, flick off all the circuits to the stuff that you don't want to run. That's non-essential. 
plug in your generator, fire it up, and power this stuff in your home as a, an alternative to the sort of more costly, although better, you know, sub panel with, you know, all the stuff you want to run and this and like a, a natural gas or propane generator that'll kick on. Um, well, that's so certainly say, another interesting option. Yeah, there, there's a lot of really cool things to, to provide power and heat uh, in an emergency. Well, and uh, if you want to make it on the cheap a little bit too, so you guys are talking about having a uh, wood stove in place in the house. like So Princess Auto, everybody's got a good Princess Auto nearby. Uh, <laughs> I think that when they go on sale, they're like 99 bucks for those like little four-legged uh, wood stoves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can get one of those for 99 bucks. It's probably big enough to heat a couple rooms in the house. So everybody just kind of piles into the two rooms if need be, if it's really cold out. I think you'd have to do a fair amount of prep work for like a window insert to make sure that because i think that's probably the, the biggest hazard to running one of those is making sure that you have either like an asbestos or fireproof or whatever window plug that yeah. you can run one of those those stove pipes through but if you have that set up ahead of time then you just basically pop out the there open the window plug in the the plug itself start the fire and then that like alan was saying that's you know unlimited heat supply if you have that carbon wood nearby yeah. i mean they've got the big wood processors too that you can i mean you mount them you know outside your house and I mean, you're throwing like full-size logs and stuff in there, and yeah. those are pretty good too. So I mean, there's lots of options that. Yeah, I think that. Well, that Princess O one's like 99 bucks or something when it's on sale yeah. right here. And, and it doesn't. Yeah. And it, you don't. It doesn't have to live in the live in the in the family room. You can knock it down yeah. and take it into the basement. It's poor, it's it's light enough that with a little bit of yeah. effort that you can you can yeah. hide it out of the way until it's needed. But if you've planned for that ahead of time, then you've got oh, yeah. a secondary heat source that requires nothing but. Yeah. The wood that's already around and and if you've got you know cords there for your campfires then a couple of extra cords becomes your secondary heat source if the power goes out long term but, yeah, the, yeah. One, the ones that i'm talking about though are like big permanent like outside the house units like yeah yeah but like i mean they exist so like i mean that's that's an option like if you want something sure. more permanent and you've got the money they're great because they will do a better job than the, the portable unit but the portable units are Again, like it's it's an emergency, so you spend a hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah. Cheap, fast, and, and easy. Well, yeah. so it depends, depends on what your wife will let you get away with, I guess, is the, is the short answer in the end of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, if you have any questions, consult with a, like an expert, like a fireplace guy to, well, maybe not a fireplace, but consult like with a heating and air conditioning guy to make sure that you have proper clearances and everything else. Um, <laughs> and even like something as simple as a candle can cause problems when the, we had the big power edge a few weeks ago uh, in my neck of the woods. Literally, we're standing and like staring across the beam, we're watching a house burn down, and it turned out it was just two kids with the parents watching them using the little tea light candles they slipped off started a fire house burned down to the ground and because yeah. the fire trucks just couldn't get to them that's all uh, yeah. well down to so it, it doesn't take much for things to fall astray so um gas supply you mentioned that alan but natural gas i think it's under about four inches of water column for pressure and for what i was told with the accumulators in the neighborhoods and stuff uh, that have uh, like a gas psi accumulator you've got about a three-week supply um, so if the power goes out, isn't coming back, you got about three, three weeks or so, depending on how many people are using it before the, the supply runs out. Yeah. Um, so that's something to think about. And then the military stoves, so like you guys remember those, they look like the miniature lighthouses or whatever, but they're like a mini, uh, military stove that run on diesel fuel or gas or like any kind of fuel you can find. Yep. And they have like a circular few, uh, wick to them. A friend of mine has one and I just, I can't remember what they're actually called, but they're like a military issue thing. Um, you can find one of those, and again, they're they burn with uh, 
enough low of an, a low oxygen use you can actually use it indoors fairly safely than the military does and uh maybe life's cheaper i don't know with the military then, i mean if you, if you are going to be running generators don't don't run them inside no exactly oh. please have the- <laughs> i can't i can't tell you how many people have asked when i've been working trade shows so i can put this inside no no, 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 no it, don't, if, don't put your barbecue inside. Like, don't do stupid and, things like that. Like, and here's, here's, here's what it comes down to. Before you put anything that burns fuel in your house, have a working CO detector on every floor. It's yeah. just a good idea. Let's take, let's take the fact that's the law out of the equation. It's just a good idea. Yeah. And, and battery uh, power. be damned. Not, yeah. Not, not yeah. hardwired to your house either for the, the house power. It yeah. has to be a battery powered CO detector. Battery, battery powered yeah. because we're, we're preparing for the worst and we're preparing to heat our home when the power is out. You still need to know if things are get if things are getting bad. So, have a yeah. good CO detector. Don't skimp on that. Spend the money on that before you deal with anything mm-hmm. involving heating your house with a secondary source. Yeah. And, then, and then my last one, I was going to put a big Starbucks behind my last one because you still have to crack a window. But there are small catalytic propane powered heaters, yeah. like one pound propane bottles. They don't actually have an active flame. I guess there technically is one on a microscopic level, but basically they have very little carbon dioxide being let off yep. uh, and basically as they say as long as you crack a window you can kind of use one of these indoors but of course that also defeats the purpose of as, as an efficient of a heating system but propane catalytic heaters are an option with the caveat that you do have to crack a window or at least have uh, airflow th- like maybe a leaky house would do but yeah. <laughs> I've definitely used those propane heaters on on the range in winter Oh sure, so have I. I have uh, I have one in my garage. It's uh, uh, what is this? A little buddy, so it only takes one cylinder. The the bigger one will run two cylinders simultaneously. Uh, you can actually get an adapter for those that'll actually run off a twenty pound tank, which is kind of cool yeah. as well. Um, but it's uh, it's certainly yeah. You definitely need some airflow because it is it is letting off carbon monoxide. But um, yeah, it's it will certainly do the job in in a, in a pinch. It's a, it's a room size heater though. It's not a it's not a house size heater. No, I don't think any of our solutions really are because, I mean, even with a, a decent fireplace indoors, you're, you're only going to heat a couple of rooms. And at that point, if it's yeah. a long-term thing, you're probably going to want to pile everybody into the same room anyway. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but then, For, like, seal off that room with, like, wool blankets or something on the doors or whatever. Tarp, yeah, keep, tarp yeah. blankets. Keep, keep the airflow to a minimum so that you've got you're, – you're, yeah. you're only heating the smallest area possible. Yeah. All right, so I guess that's it. Anything else, guys? Uh, I think that's everything on my list. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I guess with that, I guess we're bring uh, episode 14 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Where can people find the show? <laughs> you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your podcast app. Please post out, take a few minutes and submit a review. It helps us, helps other people find us, helps us know what we're, how, what we're doing well, what we need to improve on. You can also find us at the prepperpodcast.ca, our YouTube live shows are now available please subscribe to the youtube channel the island retreat click the notifications tab that will give you a little going live you can find me personally on instagram at ppswo all right if you want to contact ian directly you can reach me at the island retreat at gmail.com i'd love to answer questions specific to western canada and i welcome any questions from new preppers you can also uh, find me occasionally giving my two cents worth on canadian patriot podcast which i'm sure will be expanded upon by gavin here in a moment and uh, they're available on itunes and youtube
Yeah, uh, you can you can find me on uh, you know the Instagrams as well, urbex underscore GTA, or like Ian said, uh, Canadian Patriot Podcast. We do a live show on Monday evenings. Uh, we get a little bit spicier than this one, but sometimes we cover some prepping stuff too. Uh, you can also find me at Ragnarok Tactical as well. And even though Eric is uh, out of out of uh, country, he's stuck in Gitmo. If you could check out his website as well, RapidSurvival.com, uh, help bail him out. Check out his uh, uh, prepper gear there. Shoot him an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca or hit him up on the live chat at RapidSurvival.com. If he's there, we'll help him pay for his early release. All right. Hello. I guess thanks for thanks for joining us and tune in for the next episode. We're gonna talk about EMP. Oh wait, wait, we didn't come up with that. We didn't come up with the next episode, guys. No. Oh, we fell apart. Oh. Well, you oh, said wait. it. You said it. EMP. We're gonna, All right. We're gonna go with EMP it. then. Well, EMP. EMP and then spring planting of food crops and well, we had a, we had, for prepping. We had a bunch of choices to choose from. Like, this looks like seven episodes right there. And we got caught with our pants yeah. down. So okay, so it's EMP. Uh, That's what it is. All right, we're there you go. Just don't don't stand up. That's, nope, never. That's, that's how I roll. Well, uh, EMP right, it is. Yes. EMP is. Uh, All right. Yeah. Yes. Unless we can get you know hit by one. Uh, you know. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. learning.